Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Some of Chicago's theaters need help keeping the curtains raised and the lights on. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. During the pandemic, theaters across the U.S. were struggling to stay afloat until audiences could return in person. Fortunately, emergency COVID-era funds stepped up to fill that gap. Those dollars were a lifeline to theaters in Chicago and across the country. Now those federal funds are drying up, and theater seats aren't filling up at the same rate as before the pandemic. So do theaters need to rethink their business model to stay alive? In a few minutes, we'll check in with two local theaters about what they've been experiencing. But first, let's check in with Chicago Tribune chief theater critic Chris Jones. Chris, you've got your finger on the pulse of the Chicago theater scene. It's probably safe to say the last few years have been rocky. But how would you describe the state of things right now? Well, they're rocky. Uh, I notice in the number of productions that are out there that I would say if you compare, say, this month to 2018, there's probably about half as many productions going on in Chicago as there was then. And I, I see that across all sectors, really. The big theaters are producing less, you know, fewer shows, and then there's some smaller theaters that either disappeared during the course of the pandemic or you know, are sort of in a kind of a holding pattern or just producing fewer shows per season. So I notice it, uh, I notice it mostly in the number of productions, but it's also true that audiences are smaller, I think, than they were before the pandemic. Mm. Why aren't folks coming back to the theater at the levels that we did see before COVID? Well, I think it's a complex question. I think some of it's to do with habit. Some of it's to do, frankly, with the competition from streaming that now exists that I always think about in the 90s when I started as a theater critic here. I, there, were, there was a kind of writing or a kind of serious play that you could only see live in the theater. And now television's greatly increased in quality. And a lot of people, I think, are able with plays, not so much with musicals, just to sort of um, get a lot of that at home. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's part of the problem. But I also think, you know, that theaters have to pay attention to what audiences want. And that is a difficult thing for theaters to do sometimes. It sounds obvious, but there's a whole variety of reasons why they sometimes produce work that is not necessarily a box office smash. I mean, I think we do see people coming back to the theater. Les Miserables was sold out downtown. Mm-hmm. The Lion King was sold out. Once was sold out, is sold out at Riders Theatre up in Glencoe. Audiences are really responding to traditional shows. They very much like musicals. And so, you know, at the end of the day, people don't go, I'm ready to go back to Steppelmorf. They're attracted to particular shows and particular actors. And so that, I think, is also part of the problem. So I don't think theaters can just say, oh, no one's coming back and not look at the program. It's what are you offering? Whether people want to see. Yeah, Yeah. theaters, they usually depend on a combination of things, right? We're talking the ticket sales, 
also yes. uh, endowments from from donors who've got lots of money. So do yes. theaters maybe need to rethink their financial model? Well, I think a lot of theaters, and by the way, several theaters are facing unionization issues now, which is likely to increase their costs. And so I think to some extent that's a bit behind, you know, a lot of theaters talking about their problems. I also think, though, that theaters have, some of them have fairly costly administrative structures. And a lot of artists have pointed out rightly, I think, that you've got uh, a disparity between what artists are paid in the city and what administrators are paid in the city. I actually find it somewhat analogous to media organizations um, like the ones where you work and where I work mm -hmm. that had that had fairly, you know, it had fairly uh, expensive costs a decade or two ago. And now, as you know, and I know, they're much leaner organizations. And I think to some extent, the old model, especially at the very big theaters, is changing. Mm -hmm. And there has to be an, there has to be a, an acceptance of that. Of course, theaters don't like to say that. But it's true, and, and I think that that is something that theaters have to face. That's Chicago Tribune chief theater critic Chris Jones. Thanks for checking in with us, Chris. You're welcome. We're going to turn now to a few more voices joining us here in studio. First up is Kara Riapel, who's managing director with Chicago Shakespeare Theater here at Navy Pier. Hey, Kara. Hi, so lovely to be here. Jeannie Luco is executive director of Porchlight Music Theater on the near north side. Welcome, Jeannie. Thank you so much. And rounding out the panel, Claire Rice, Executive Director with Arts Alliance Illinois. Welcome to Reset, Claire. Thanks for having me, Sasha. You've all been listening along to my conversation there with, with Chris. I saw some heads nod at points. You know, uh, Your thoughts, uh, Jeannie, on how Chris has assessed things? Uh, I think he's assessed it pretty well. There are, a lot, there are numerous reasons people aren't coming back to the theater. I think it's less this season about COVID or health concerns, and it's really more about a change in, in people's entertainment habits. I mean, you have to, to his point about needing something exciting and an event that people want to attend, regardless of where it's at, um, you have to give re people a reason to, you know, get out of their soft pants, shut off the Netflix, and get back to the theater. Claire? Yes, agreed. And I think, you know, we're also facing, as um, you noted, the end of um, significant federal government support. We do have, um, thankfully, some city and state support still coming, uh, relief dollars. But um, this this business model is facing, I think, some fundamental changes. The words fiscal cliff are, are mm -hmm. not unfamiliar to a lot of our performing arts organizations at the moment. And in fact, we took did a brief survey of the entire field. Uh, 41% in November of 22 are still seeing significant revenue loss for their organization wow. of um, the, our members surveyed. And that's that includes, nearly half. That's a lot. That's nearly half. And that includes um, visual arts all across the arts spectrum. So I think it's even higher for the performing arts folks. Sound familiar, Kara? Yes, I would just add that unpredictability of audience behaviors has been very challenging. Um, it's being much more transactional, last minute, so it makes it more difficult to really plan accordingly. And they're just not back to where we were seeing. And at the same time, we have these productions like The Notebook, which really was one of our top yeah. productions that has sold in our history. Um, wow. But just across the board, we are really finding that that loss of the government funding really does pose a significant challenge and, to where uh, we're I've at. I've got some numbers here from, from Crane Chicago Business, which uh, reported on some of the leading venues uh, that we're talking about and, and says, um, uh, you know, Steppenwolf and, and Chicago Symphony Orchestra, they're seeing attendance running 15 percent to 20 percent below pre-pandemic levels. Is that what's happening at, at 
Shakespeare Theater? That's exactly right. That's yeah. what we're seeing as well. What about at, at Porchlight? Same. It really doesn't matter the yeah. size of the organization. I think you just kind of add a zero or some zeros, and it, it is really the same situation across the board. So what has it been like trying to get people back to the theater? It's been challenging. It you, really is segmenting your audience and understanding what is driving them. Um, to Cara's point, accepting that you know people are purchasing very last minute. It's very difficult to plan. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what does, uh, Claire, what is, what is what Kara and Jeannie are, are talking about sound like when you when you talk to other venues across the city? Very, very similar. Right. This is true in all across all budget sizes, across those serving neighborhood based organizations, black and brown communities. It doesn't matter. Um, I think, you know, Chris's point about audiences voting with their feet is is very much true yeah. and it's really going to take you know a confluence of both audiences coming back but then additional uh, government support for this important work um, philanthropic support uh, and re-examination of the business model but these, these current issues that we're, we're focused on Claire you know worrisome ticket sales and and um, budget deficits and and declining donations that's not new right no, it's not new. I think the pandemic really exacerbated okay. trends that were starting well before um, COVID. And I think now is a time, in fact, in a way, uh, an opportunity for us to really reimagine and re-envision the way we do our work in this field. And so that we understand things more from, from your world, uh, Jeannie and Kara, we've talked about ticket sales. I do want to dig into expenses. So, so Kara, are expenses going up? as we're seeing inflation just kind of make pretty much everything more expensive these days? They certainly are. And I think what I would like to add is that really we are in a period of very thoughtful rebuild. So, and you cannot cut your way to greatness. I think that holds true across the board, but we are being so careful about how we think about staffing, about what that means to be lean, but we also want to return to a level of programming that really does invite in the widest breadth of audiences that we can. So really calibrating that rebuild. And we're thinking right now on a four-year cycle. Okay. And that's a, that's a significant change, at least for our theater. I was going to say, is that what you've always done? No, four because, years ahead? No, but we're trying to be very planful in how we really think about that expense to revenue ratio going forward. And also just to rebuild very carefully, right, to say that actually one of our mandates is to really think about who is coming through our door, mm -hmm. right? So we have these different portals. And how can we make sure we do have the staff to drive the programming? Yeah, I'm trying to picture those conversations among your team. And it's like, you think four years out and you think, okay, well, what do we do if we get hit by another pandemic? That's exactly right. And how do you prepare for that level of uncertainty? But we really believe Which, by that. by the way, I'm knocking on wood that we won't get hit by another pandemic. <laughs> Please, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Jeannie, what's, what's, what are the conversations like over at Porchlight about expenses? Yeah, absolutely. Expenses, di direct costs of, of materials and particularly labor costs have have significantly increased. Um, and like most organizations, a really tight multi-year strategic plan and vision for the organization is is what's required. I mean, next next season is is a rebuilding season for everybody, but we have to think well beyond next season and, and how we're going to really change some of our, our business model. Porchlight Theater has been around for about 28-ish years. Um, Kara, uh, Chicago Shakes since 1986. So, I mean, again, almost 40 years there. 
both playhouses, though, so essential to the theater scene here in this city. So I'm going to ask both of you, what do you think is at stake when the health of those theaters and and other nonprofit playhouses in Chicago is at risk? You first, Jeannie. Thank you. Well, Chicago is a second to none city for theater and arts and culture. Um, And we're at real risk of losing that. As Chris alluded to, companies have uh, not made it through the pandemic and the future is uncertain. So it is uh, it is going to potentially be a hit to the vibrancy and the cultural excitement of a world class city like Chicago. Kara? Yeah, I just echo what you just said. I mean, it's just what we have built, what this entire performing arts landscape has built together over these years, and how much we are able to offer not only audiences, but, you know, we, we do with our education programming, we do with our community practice work, you know, and also just for the businesses. I think really rethinking, the va- we offer such value to the, the city, and together we do. So just really understanding how we can get the city to step back into that conversation and such, and, and government funding to step back into that conversation, foundations, the corporate landscape, to really understand what we are offering yeah. to our city. I mean, and, and Claire, we talked uh, to Chris Jones, as you heard earlier, theater critic. I'm going to ask you the same question I, I asked him about, you know, Chicago theaters needing to rethink their financial model. I believe you alluded to that earlier, but what could it look like? Yeah, I think, you know, with this great risk that um, both of my colleagues just spoke to, there is opportunity, right? There is. And and these folks are really smart, you know, incredible administrators across the city in, in all variety of budget sizes and organizations. They are rethinking the business model. They are taking new risks. They are paying more attention to audiences and their needs. I mean, these, these things... Um, are already happening, I think. And I also think it's an opportunity, as we said, for us to think about um, the fact that that our workers are professionals, mm-hmm. that this work is not just done for the love of arts and culture. The, uh, folks need to be paid. They need to be paid well. They need That's to have sustainable lives. Yeah. You know, this is a, a real opportunity to kind of reset, <laughs> forgive me, how, um, <laughs> oh, how we think about right? how we think about this work in this field. Um, and that needs to be combined with the government support, right? We're going to do the work on the mm-hmm. on the field side, on the administrative side, um, to better support artists, to better support workers. Mm-hmm. And then we also need our new mayor, whoever that may be, to um, continue the great work that the Lightfoot administration has done in terms of increasing support for um, organizations for individual artists. We need, you know, greater support from our state government. We need to continue to push at the federal level. So there's, mm-hmm. um, with that great challenge and that opportunity for reimagination, reinvention comes the opportunity um, to to reestablish our case and the vibrance of this cultural landscape as yeah. a partner to the government. Kara, how do we, as a as a city, boost up theater in Chicago? <laughs> it's such a great question. I mean, I think the answer is actually quite simple. Buy a ticket, go see something, make a donation. It may seem small, but together that in itself has such power because that's, you know, those audiences, those art makers, that's where you can show up for us. Yeah. Yeah. Jeannie, I mean, as we talk about the the federal funds drying up, I mean, what more is needed, would you say, going forward? Even just that discussion we were just having about the rethinking of of the financial model. Yeah, I think more more funding is needed. More funding is coming from the city and state level. Um, 
and a, a rethinking of, of where and how we we deliver our art and mm-hmm. and you know where most arts organizations you know kind of were in a 50 50 ish split of earned and contributed uh, that that particular model is going to shift perhaps you know permanently to, for a heavier reliance on contributed income so as Kara said you know make a donation buy a ticket um Pick, pick something live and exciting yeah. over your TV. I mean, and, and bring us inside. Uh, again, I'm, I'm always trying to peek into those those huddles, uh, those team huddles. I mean, are, are folks worried? Sure. I You know, there's been a huge flux in our industry over the pandemic. A lot of people left the industry as things slowed down. Um, so there's just it, it, multiple seismic and intersecting shifts um, are really bearing down on arts organizations right now. Yeah. What would you say about uh, Chicago Shakes? Yeah, I mean, I think it's across the industry. I think that just to emphasize the level of creativity that we're committed to, to bringing these programs back, I mean, I think that is consistent across organizations. And I also will say that we're really looking, the reason why we're in particular looking at this rebuild over a few years is that we fully anticipate that our job is to make work for audiences, right? But we need the time to really be back and build this, Mm -hmm. build back after the pandemic. So in the spirit of supporting the arts and supporting theater, I want to hear what is playing on your stages right now or in the coming months. So we'll start with you, Jeannie. All right. Right now at Porchlight is Cabaret, the great Candor and Ebb classic musical running through March 19th. And the next up is the off-Broadway new musical, Ernest Shackleton Loves Me. Oh, lovely. That sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Kara, what about uh, what's happening over at Chicago Shakespeare Theater? Well, we just wrapped up Wuthering Heights, which was a return. It was so great to have World Stage back again. I mean, really fantastic. Yeah. But uh, this spring, actually in a couple weeks, Barbara Gaines' last production as our artistic director is The Comedy of Errors. We're really excited about this, and nice. it's going to be really a love letter to Barbara and all the amazing work she did as the founder of our organization. Wow, end of an era. <laughs> I know. Almost. So, Claire, what about shows? coming up that you are particularly excited about? You mean other than the election? That's the biggest show, oh, right? Oh my gosh, um, you said it. Uh, so first I will say, you know, we'd, we'd love for the Vallis administration to come out with an arts platform. We've seen one from um, the Johnson campaign. Um, so we, we, need that, we need that. We need that conversation to happen with the candidates around... Um, around uh, arts and culture. So that's 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 tops on my mind. But of course, um, excited for a number of different... I can't pick a favorite child, so I, I won't <laughs> oh, come do on. it. come on. All right, we'll leave it there. Claire Rice is from the Arts Alliance Illinois, Jeannie Luco from Porchlight Music Theater, and Kara Riapel from Chicago Shakespeare Theater. Thank you all so much. Thanks, Thanks so, much. so much for Sasha. having us. This episode of Reset was produced by Maha Ahmed, who also edited the episode along with Ethan Schwab. If you're looking for more ways to connect with Reset, have you given us a follow on Twitter and TikTok? We share behind-the-scenes content and conversations where you can join in. Follow us at WBEZ Reset on Twitter and WBEZ underscore Reset on TikTok. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.